church. And if you don't have an outline, I need for you to have an outline because I want you to have it because we're going to talk at least today and next week. I know that next week is Mother's Day. We're going to have a Mother's Day celebration and, and so on and so forth. And then we're going to have a, a regular sermon. Uh, and then maybe the week after. There's a lot to talk about over here. Some that, that we've already talked about, so I'm not going to go over it in depth so much, but skim over it a little bit. And, um, but this has to do with the church. This has to do with the church. Do you have one, uh, an outline? Uh, where, where are the outlines? you have them? Okay. Yes. No, no, we, we have to have them because otherwise it's too much. I want to see where we're going. So this is not just a three-point sermon where we're going to talk about the church. And since we are a church, it is good to talk about the church, who we are, what our mission is, what we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to act, and give some perspective as to the fact that we are flawed people. And with that in mind, this is the church that we are. Now, if you know of a church where there's perfect people, don't get, go there, you're going, to blow, you're going to blow the whole thing up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, there is not such a thing. There is, yes, there is a, a maturity in the Lord. There's childhood in the Lord. And those things are right and, and, and true. When somebody is first born in the kingdom of God, they are a baby in Christ. Yes? Then they grow up to be a child. Then they grow up to be a a son or a daughter. And the scriptures make a difference in that. Um, And we're not going to talk about that so much, but I just want to point out to you that there is maturity levels. Um, uh, Paul talked in uh, in the first Corinthian letters, I want to say it's chapter 3. That's not what I'm talking about this morning, but I'll just get off my mind a little bit over here. Is that, you know, some of the Christians were were carnal. They were fleshly. And they could not be fed with, with meat because they couldn't handle the meat. So he had to give them milk. Milk is for the babies in Christ. So, and then as they grow older, then uh, not older in age, but older in maturity in Christ, then uh, it's a Christ-likeness that comes over them, and they start acting like Christ more. They are not easily offended. They don't offend other people. They are forgiving. They are uh, uh, gentle. They are kind. They are loving. They are full of joy, full of peace, and these type of things. So, and there are, in the scriptures, specific words used for a child and specific words used for sons. So, uh, a son or daughter. Of course, the scriptures usually are talking about the sons, but meaning the sons and the daughters those who are a little bit more mature in Christ. Um, i just give you one example, then I get off of that, and I go, then we go, go on with, with my sermon. Uh, if you read, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In some translations, you read, they, are, they shall be called the children of God. It's not the proper translation, because though they are children of God, they now have become sons, more mature, because it is the characteristic of a mature Christian that they are peacemakers. If you're not mature, you won't stick out your neck to make peace, because many times it costs you to make peace. You aware of that? Ask Jesus. He'll tell you. It costs him to make peace between the Father and us. So, and then, but, but when it says... Um, But as many as received him, God gave the power or the authority to become the children of God. That is the proper translation there, although some translations say the sons of God. Yes, you have also the power to become a son of God. But it's not speaking in that context there about sons. It's speaking about children because it's speaking about the rebirth who are born not of blood, not of the will of of man, not of the will of flesh, but born of God. So it speaks about the rebirth over there. So obviously, it speaks about children and not of sons or daughters. Are you with me? And there are specific uh, Greek words used, uh, not 100%, but 90% of the cases, where children are indicated by the word technon, T-E-K-N-O-N, 
And the sons or daughters, the ones that are more mature, are indicated by the word huios, H-U-I-S. Okay? So there is a difference. So all that taken in consideration, then this is what we're talking about, the church. So in your outline, and it is, I'll never get through this today. I probably won't get through this next week, probably the week after. Um, So in the outline, we start off with the title, The Church Growing in Love. I have contemplated to call it The Church Growing Together in Love. But I left that off because the togetherness is part of the rest of the message. Uh, So we can put it, if you want to put it, just write it in there. Growing together in love. If, if not, then you, you don't have to write anything. But it is about togetherness in the church. You're aware of that. It's about togetherness in the church. It is not about uh, lone rangers. If you want to be a lone ranger, good luck. You, you can't make it. You're not designed that way. You are designed the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes you in the body of Christ so that now you are part of His body. Okay? Hold on. Remember your thought for a second. Uh, uh, So now you are part of His body. You belong to the body of Christ. And we'll see some verses where it says that we belong to one another. So you don't belong just by yourself. You, as soon as you become a believer, now you belong to another group of people. They are called the Christians, the, the children of God. So that is the big C, the worldwide church. But I can't always identify with my brothers in China. So we, we, just, we just concentrate on what it means to us here in this body, or what it means to us in the body of Christ in Corpus Christi, or whatever. Uh, yes, we, we love our brothers in China. And if there's a mission to be uh, uh, contributed to, to be supported, then we want to be part of that, uh, or wherever the brothers might be. But the lessons, I want to just focus in on us, so that then we know what a church is supposed to be like according to the Scriptures. Not according to my opinion, so therefore I will give you plenty of Scriptures. So then, yes, what was was the... Well, yeah... The Lone Ranger is not the only one that wears a mask. Marie, she has some breathing problems, so she wears a mask too, but uh, yeah. Uh, yes. So my definition of the church is the group of believers, baptized believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. Let me say it again. The church is a group of baptized believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. Then as you see on your outline, and I've done this two weeks ago, so we're going to go through it a little bit faster than than normal. Uh, Then we'll come back and and then go to the rest of the script. So the main point, one, is the definition of the church. And you see six items underneath that. Then the second main point is the church, a spiritual house, out of 1 Peter. Then the third main point is the church, together, God's dwelling place. The fourth point is the church, unity and oneness, unity and diversity. These are some of the things we'll talk about. The fifth point is the church, her working and mission. Sixthly, the church, a sweet-smelling savor to God and to each other. The seventh point, the church, a place of healing and growth. We talked about it last time and gave an illustration with a rescuing hug. The eighth point, the church, a living body. This is important to note. The church of family, we won't talk about that a lot because I haven't developed that point. I'll just make, make a point out of it. And intently, the church growing in love, the ultimate goal. Never in the scriptures, never in the scriptures is it mentioned that the local church should be a big church or a small church or whatever. The the church is just commissioned to reach out to people so that other people can come into the kingdom of God. 
they don't have to come over here. Because when we go to Africa, lots of people are one to Christ, but they're not coming to Walden Road. They are across the ocean. So, but it is our job. So, therefore, as a pastor, I just want you to know. So, we are on the same page. We are together. As a pastor, I do my darndest. Is that a bad word? Remember, I'm a foreigner. Okay. Okay. By golly, I, I don't want to say any bad words. <laughs> Sometimes Paul gets us in trouble with his bad words, but anyways. Um, um, so where was I? <laughs> I do my best. Comma. I do my best, comma. Though numbers are important, comma, I do my best not to focus on numbers. If numbers is my game, I'm playing the wrong game. Just, just remember that. Because when you play the numbers game, although numbers, yeah, comma, numbers are important, because you have to pay the electrical bill, you have to pay for insurance, and you, you pay salaries, and so on and so forth. So numbers are important. But that is not the game you play. If you do, you're losing. And I'll give you some illustrations maybe down the road here. But what I don't want, okay, is that when a family of five walks in, handsome husband, pretty wife, two beautiful daughters and a son, they all, all dress nice, they smell nice, they talk nice, they look nice, they drive nice, they dress nice. And then there is a lady over here that is poor. She smells poor, she looks poor, she talks poor, whatever it is. I don't want to look at them differently. You follow what I'm coming, where I'm coming from? I want to look at her the same way I look at them. And I'm a human being made of flesh like you are, so therefore I'm also prone to look that way. Yes? Are you following me? I don't want to. So I guard my heart and to be done with the numbers game. Now, is it true that I would like to have more people here in the building? Yes. But I don't play the numbers game. Okay. So, the church then, a group of baptized believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. So, let's talk about the word believers. Believers are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the redeeming work that he's done in the cross and in the resurrection. A believer. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the redeeming work that he's done on the cross and the resurrection. That's it. Nothing else to be a believer. Are you with me? So anything else that is added is an addition to it and is not true. Although... You can make additions that are part of that equation. For an example, you could say um, a believer, it says in Ephesians, that before the, the, the beginning of the world, he was designed to do good works. But good works don't make him a believer. You see what I'm saying? He is a believer, and out of that come good works. But the good works don't make him a believer. Stay with me now. Stay with me now. So, a believer. A baptized believer. Somebody who has been baptized uh, as unto the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be done by a pastor. Okay? It doesn't have to be done. It has to be done by a believer to a believer. And there should be, it, this should be done in private. There should be witnesses because that is part of the baptismal symbol. That is to say that what has happened in the believer privately, he now portrays publicly to his brothers and sisters, I am now a believer. And it symbolizes also that he or she identifies with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And though the baptism itself is a symbol of the dead burial, identifying with the dead burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in that symbol, it portrays a lot of what happens in the Christian. Because the resurrection that Jesus has done and that you have identified with in baptism, you won't, you won't believe what comes out of that. What, where you stand with God in the resurrection. That's a whole other series of, 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 of sermons out of the sixth chapter of Romans. But it's unbelievable. And one day I'll do that again. And I'll write a book about it one day. Because of the fact that so many Christians, they don't... Oh, let me, let me get out of that first and say this first. That so many Christians, they settle for a whole lot less than God has for them. Amen. And my dear brothers and sisters, that is most Christians that I know. And probably most Christians that you know. They settle for a little bit when God has for them a lot. A lot. They settle for a life of meagerness and, and mediocrity. Not financially, not socially, not materially or any other way. Maybe so. I don't know. But I'm talking about spiritually. The spiritual life that God has for us. The spiritual power that God has for us. That we should be able to walk in. That we might love greater and have greater peace and greater joy. And greater kindness and greater gentleness to one another. And that, that the Holy Spirit has given us through the resurrection. We're not walking in it. We are almost, not entirely, but in many ways we are almost walking like the world. Although we're Christians. And God, thank God, He's not giving up on us. He stays with us. And, and compels us and propels us to go with what He has for us. But it's a whole lot more. Flawed. Now, here is where I want to park just a little bit. We are flawed people, brothers and sisters. There's good news, Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says this. Being confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in me shall perform it till the day of, of Jesus Christ. He who had begun a good work in me. So God started a work in me, and he is going to complete it. He's going to keep it up till the day Jesus comes, or before I go to him. Or till I go to him, I should say. So uh, that is good hope. Because if you think that I'd had some flaws, some stinky flaws that you don't like, good news. I won't be the same in five years. He who had begun a good work in me, he's going, to keep, he's going to keep doing it. But thankfully, he's going to do it in you too. Now, my brothers and sisters, this is where I need to speak to you and to many Christians. That is that somehow in the church, we expect some sort of perfection from our brothers and sisters. Because if they're not, we get upset. Oh, why do I get upset? It's because I'm immature in the Lord. But likely, as an average Christian, in the church where you are, Somebody's going to upset you. Not just once in your church life. But this could happen. This could happen. This could happen often. But, my dear brothers and sisters, you remember what God is, what, what, what the ultimate goal is, is that we grow together in love. And we'll, we'll deal with that somehow in the middle here-ish, uh, in a couple of points, and then we'll de deal with it again at the end, because that is to me what, Paul is saying is the ultimate goal of the church. The ultimate goal of the church is not to have 2,000 people here. 
The ultimate goal of the church is that we will grow in love together. That is the ultimate church. That is also the sign, the evidence, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That you love one another as I have loved you. This is the sign. This is the evidence that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not how much money you have. It's not how, much, how often you go to church. It's not how much you pray. Prayer has something to do with it because it's going to propel you to become a more mature Christian. But it's about how well do you love? And hopefully reading scripture and prayer will take you there to an extent. But God gives us opportunity to learn to love more. You know how that happens? When a brother or a sister or a spouse irritates you. That's how that happens. Oh, when everything is going good. You know, Sherry over here, I love Sherry. She's like a daughter to me. She's younger than my daughter. I love her. She's special. She's special to me and she's special to you. And, but she would never irritate me. But I probably irritate her sometimes. I don't. Oh, what a gracious sister. <laughs> I, I don't irritate her. She's so gracious. Oh, man. So what happens is, I asked you this question two weeks ago already, but I, I, I'm parking on this point a little bit because I need to drive it home because of what I see happens in churches. And among Christians. Um, have you ever been irritated? Oh, no, 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 no. I should, I, I should ask it differently. Have you been irritated by your spouse this past week? <laughs> Are you answering for them? <laughs> this was a good week? Okay. <laughs> In the last month? <laughs> okay. So this is the person that is closest to you, and you've been irritated. So when there's 100 people in the church, you think you're going to be irritated sometimes? Not by just one or two. Okay? If you have dealings with a person intimately enough and often enough, you're going to be irritated by the person sometime. But my deep process is where I want you to look from. This is what I want you to see. That is an opportunity to grow in love. Love is patient. Love is kind. My dear brothers and sisters, when you're being irritated by somebody and you're not kind, it didn't show up. You can say all you want that you love them. It didn't show up. And this is what I want us to see. Instead of stomping and being upset with this person, hey, this is grow in love. Grow in love. Thank you. <laughs> See, if Joe did that, I'd be scared. <laughs> uh, we, we love you too. Yeah, better give you a hug. We love you too. Yes. So, this is an opportunity. Because you see what happens. Let me tell you what happens. Let us say, let us say a Sunday school class. Yes? Let us say a Sunday school class consists of, how many people do you want a Sunday school class to consist of? Give me a number. Nah, it's too big. Huh? Twelve. Twelve. Okay, we're praying for 12 in the, in the children's class. Say, 12 people in a Sunday school class. Okay? And in, of those 12 people, do you suppose somebody is going to irritate you? Maybe their personality, whatever. Yes. Of course. You don't have to say yes, like, with a, a hesitation. Of course. It is. So, then somebody says, well... I'm not going to that Sunday school class. Somebody irritates me. Ultimately, there won't be a class. Because somebody's going to irritate you. That's just that simple, folks. But see, this is what I want you to see. 
that that's an opportunity. God is consistently growing you to love other people more. Whether they irritate you or not, has nothing to do with anything. Matter of fact, the more irritating they are to you, the more you show that you need more growth. So I might as well get done with it <laughs> and love them, and God will be done with you in that, in that scenario. <laughs> So, I just want us to see that. Now, if you are immature in the Lord, you'll be irritated a lot. If you are mature in the Lord, you don't get so irritated. Yes? When you have two children, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, they irritate the heck out of each other. Oh, no, no. If you leave them alone long enough, I mean, like five minutes, there is a fight. You have to go settle something over there. But with a parent and a child, oh, they, oh, they just love them, pick them up, and carry them for a little while, and, you know, and, and be done. The more mature you are, and yes, do they need discipline? Yes, there's some, some, some form. But even that is out of love. Uh, so, God wants us to love one another in a greater way. That is just the end of it. That's just the, the, the whole enchilada right there. Okay. Okay. Flawed. Growing, building. I, I gave you Philippians 1.6 already that says that uh, being confident of this, this very thing that God, he who the, the, began a good work in you shall, who had begun a good work shall continue till the, the end of, until the day of Jesus Christ, something like that. You know what I'm talking about. So he's continually working on you. So you're growing, and, and then Paul uses the, the word building also. Growing and building is the same idea, okay? A plant grows, you build a building, okay? And, and Paul uh, and Peter, use, Peter uses the building thing, and Paul uses the, the plant thing or the body thing sometimes. Then the word together. And we're going to talk about together because in the point four, it says the church, unity and oneness, unity and diversity. We're going to spend a lot of time on that there. So but I just want to briefly say it over here that together and unity is the idea of together meaning. And that's an important word in the scriptures when Paul talks about the church. He uses the word together a lot. Together. Um, the word together means uh, that we are all in, in one place, together. But it also means that we, all, that we are all on the same page. We are together on this, right? I follow what I'm saying? I don't have to explain too much? Okay. Then it could also mean we got it together, okay? Somebody is a financial whiz, then you would say about him, Financially, he's got it together. Somebody who is a, a wise person, he or she's got it together. Who has a nice, wonderful family, they got it together. So, and so is any of those three, and sometimes a combination, are all three put together. The fact that we are all in one place, on the same page, and we got it together. Together. Then you have the word unity. Unity, my definition of unity is a oneness in spirit and in purpose of that which is made out of diverse people. Are you with me? I shall say it again. The oneness in spirit and in purpose of that which is made out of diverse people. Okay? Now, if these are the same people, of course, even if they're the same looking people, they are diverse. Are you with me? They are just the same looking, they are just not the same people. Otherwise, one is a clone of the other, and that's not the case. So, they are diverse, but then diverse means, in, in, in the greater sense, they look differently, they, uh, they smell differently, they may be talk differently, diverse, diverse people. 
maybe racially they are different, socioeconomically they maybe are different, diverse people. Yes? So, when there is unity, and I'll come back to the oneness of spirit and of purpose. When there is unity in people that look alike, talk alike, that is a feat. But that is not the greatest feat. The greatest feat is when there is unity, when people are completely diverse in every way. I see question marks on your faces. Are you with me? Okay? So, okay, so let me, let me say. When they are racially different, socioeconomically different, when they are from different places, when they look different, when they have different sizes, all that stuff, then if there is, when there is unity among them, that is a greater feat than when they are sort of alike in the first place. But, so I need to tell you what unity, sorry, sorry, I went too fast. So we're going back to the one in spirit and one in purpose. So this group has decided that this is our purpose for existing. Okay? In the church, it would be bottom lining it. You can subdivide this in many ways, but bottom lining it, it is to, um, to evangelize and to dis- disciple. That is, the, that is the purpose of the church, to evangelize, to go out and have, share the gospel of Jesus Christ so more people can be part of the kingdom of God, one. And when those people become part of the kingdom of God, they need to be evangelized so they can grow up and be more like Jesus. Yes? Bottom lining it. So that is then, we come together and we say, okay, this is our purpose. But how we are going to accomplish that, we may not be, have the same idea about that. Then we come together and try to come to a place. So, so let, me, let me back out of that a little bit and go back to the, the oneness in spirit. And this is probably the biggest hindrance to unity for church people. Their purpose is okay. They agree on their purpose. But rarely, rarely can they pull it off in oneness in spirit. Oneness in spirit means you don't have to agree. But you cannot be disagreeable. You cannot get upset. You cannot intimidate. You cannot speak louder. You cannot do these things because you want everybody to see it your way. You can't do it. This is not oneness in spirit. We are one in spirit. That is to say, we're going to try to get this thing, this purpose done, brother. And we're going to talk and discuss as long as it takes to get there. For example, when we're going to evangelize, Joe might think, okay, Everybody that I see, I want to talk to. Sherry might think, well, no, 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 no. I, 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 that doesn't fit my personality. I like to build a relationship with the people first before I talk to them about Jesus. Right? Both are good. Someone fits, some system fits one better than maybe the other. So, um, now, what unity is not, and like I said, we're going to sp- spend some time on that later on. What unity is not is that... It is not uniformity. It is not agreeing on every point. Ultimately, maybe. But we have the purpose to together. We never get upset talking about it. And ultimately, we come to a place where we're going to pull this thing off together. Um, and what it is not, it is not being united. I'll come to back, back to this unity thing. On the point four, so let me move on. Uh, and the next thing is the love, to, to grow together in the love of Christ. Um, and, and if we can have Ephesians 4.16 and the NIV on the, on, on, the, on the board. So, um, so you remember, and we, we're going to talk about Ephesians the fourth chapter a little bit also down the line here, but there's so much to talk about that. um, So, here we go. You see my little green dot? Okay. From from him, him, in the previous verse 15, it talked about Jesus Christ. So the him refers to Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body, 
the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. One of the things that I want to encourage you that when we are going through these verses and through this series of, of, of sermons, that you look for the words that have to do with building, that you look for the words that have to do with together or unity, and you look for the words that have to do with, um, what's the other one? I'll think of it in a second. So from him, the whole body joined and held together. That has to do with, with building, joined and held together. There you have the word together. By every supporting ligament, the ligament has to do with building or body, whichever way you want to look at it, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the body of Christ is what it's talking about over there. As every part does its work, every part does its part, it will build itself up, it will grow and build itself up in love. That is the ultimate for the body of Christ. That people love each other, ultimately, like, like Christ loved the church. Just like a, a husband is supposed to love like Christ loved the church. Can anyone love like Christ? Not, not for a second. Unless the Holy Spirit empowers them. When God is asking a husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church, he is not saying to the husband, hey, you'll love her like Christ loved the church, okay? I'll see you later. I have some other work to do. You're on your own for a while. No, you're not on your own. Because on your own, you're not going to make it. He has a stake in it because he wants a husband to walk with his wife like Christ walks with the church. Are you with me? Okay? And so, this is there 10,000 points on that to be spoken of. <clears throat> so, but you're not on your own. God has, has a stake in it because he wants a witness. He wants a testimony of the love of Christ on the face of this earth and he has chosen to make it manifest. That's not the only place he makes it manifest. But he has chosen to make it manifest between a husband and a wife. The way they walk together. For people to see. Look at Paul walking with Joyce. Man. He is so kind. He's so gentle. When they walk together, they hold hands. I saw you. When they pray together, when they pray in, in, in a group, they hold hands. Well, that, that is not necessarily meaning that he loves her like Christ loved the church, but it sure, sure is a good sign. Okay? If they never hold hands, that is not a good sign. But if they hold hands, and not that if they don't hold hands that he doesn't love her like Christ loved the church, but holding hands certainly is a good sign, a visible sign that people say, hey, they got something going here, baby. So, Okay, so from him, from Christ, the whole body is joined together and held together by every supporting ligament. And through the supporting ligaments, through the supporting ligaments is where the growth takes place from one part of the body to the next part of the body, from one brick to the next brick, right? Through the ligaments between the, the parts of the body, one part feeds the other part and the whole body then grows in love. Okay. Point number two. Like I said, we're, and, and, and we're going to go through this a little bit fast. So 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. Coming to him, verse 4, to him, capitalized, so that's Jesus, as to a living stone, a living stone. Rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. By many people, Jesus is rejected. But he's chosen of God and precious. And verse 5 says this. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. You also. Who's this you over here? The believers. You also. That is you and me. 
as living stones. What makes you a living stone? Jesus. You have the living stone living in you. That makes you a living stone, without which you're not a living stone. Okay? You build up a spiritual house. And this is important because, once again, a spiritual house is different than a physical house. And unfortunately, let me classify it this way, most Christians that I know, you say, well, what kind of Christians do you know? Yeah. Most Christians that I know, they concentrate on the physical house and not on the spiritual house. This is a spiritual kingdom that we are talking about, brothers and sisters. And I've said this many times before. That if you just concentrate on the physical house versus the spiritual house, you will end up with a physical house that looks like the glorious churches in Europe. The Notre Dame de Paris. I've been there. Wherever you look, it is absolutely gorgeous. They spent I don't know how many years building that church. The physical plant of the church. The spiritual church, when you go there on Sunday, handful of people in this gigantic building. Marble all over the place. Artworks all over the place. Wherever you look, it's beautiful. But the spiritual house is gone. So he's saying over here that this is a spiritual house that God is building. That the spiritual house might make uh, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. So can a spiritual sacrifice be physical? Absolutely. But it's from the spiritual is where it's coming from. Right? If you just, let, let me put it this way. If you just give money to a ministry or to the church because you want to impress somebody, or you want to get rid of the guilt, or whatever. This is not a spiritual sacrifice. A spiritual sacrifice is that you're giving your money for God. You use it the way you see fit. This is for you. Okay. So, so a, a, a spiritual house. The church is a spiritual house. Yes, yes. We are sitting in a physical house, but with spiritual sacrifices. Yes, it's true. Sometimes when I go on a mission trip, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this. Sometimes when I go on a mission trip, I sit on a toilet seat that just, it, it slips all over the place. Oh, okay. I have to try to hold my balance. Okay. Uh, or you, you cannot brush even with, with water out of the faucet. You have to go buy bottled water to even brush your teeth. Okay? So that's some of the things. Yes, isn't it more comfortable to sit on a toilet seat that is fixed and to sit in, in, in cushion uh, uh, pews? It's more comfortable. But is that more spiritual? Only in America do we think it's more spiritual. I'm not, I'm not just being judgmental. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, I like the cushions too. Absolutely. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But let's not get them confused. That's all I'm saying. So, and then the third point, I have to check my time. The church together, God's dwelling place. Ephesians 2, let's just look at verses 21 and 22. There is, it, there's more verses that pertain to this, but I'm just going to give you this because my main point is that the church together is God's dwelling place. So let's look at Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. In whom? This is, it sounds like, it sounds like Ephesians 4. In whom? Christ. The whole building, he's talking about a building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the spiritual body that I'm talking about, okay? That we are in whom in Christ, the whole building. This is, it's not talking about this building. It's talking about the body of Christ. 
being fitted together, grows into a holy temple. Once that, so here you have the, 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 the words that we're looking for, right? Building, fitted together, together, here's our word together, grows into, into, what does into mean? You're English speaking people. Into means movement. In means you're in there. Into means movement. So there's movement taking place. There's a journey. There's growth taking place. It moves. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22 says this. In whom ye also are being built together, built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A dwelling place. The church. The church. This is where God says, the church. This is where God says, I want to live. This is where God says, I want to make my residence. Not this building. The people. This is where I want to live, God says. So, when we become that, that church, that spiritual house, God says, ah, that's where I'm going to live. Hey, get the movers. Now I'm just everything. <laughs> I got the angels. We're going to move some furniture over here. God says, that's where I want to live. That's where I want to live. Okay, then verse four, the, uh, the fourth point. The church, unity and oneness, unity and diversity. So let's talk about that just a little bit. We're going to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. And I'm not even sure I get through this point. If not, we'll, we'll pick it up next time. So we have already shared a little bit on this point. Uh, but let us look at the verses first of all. And see what kind of unity and oneness. So I told you before that unity is not being united. That is, being united is part of unity, but unity is not being united by itself. It's just part of it. It is not agreeing on every single idea. It is not uniformity. We don't have to look the same. It is about unity. So in the word united, there is the idea of coming together, uh, agreeing to do things together, even if we are not in unity. Okay? Um, If... Somebody joins the church, yes, today. They might not be in unity with all the things that we do, but are now united with us. There comes a place where we might be in unity, okay? Now, the European Union, yes, you're familiar with the European Union, EU, The European Union has as its slogan, or had as its slogan, unity in diversity. But they changed it to united in diversity. Because they saw very well that they could not achieve unity in diversity. Because it takes the Spirit of God to make out of diverse people unity. And the Spirit of God has done that. Let's go to verse number 2 and number 3 over here. He says, uh, with all lowliness and gentleness and with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Here you have the, the idea that we talked about, the fact that we are flawed. You have to bear with one another in love. Yes? Hello? <laughs> Plain English. You have to bear with one another. It's just that simple. We have to bear with one another. And not only that, excuse me, in love. (laughs) So in other words, you're not bearing with one another like this. That's not bearing with one another in love. That is barely bearing with one another. But bearing with one another in love is a whole different picture. 
<laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. Oh, leaning on her a little bit. Hey, there you go. That, that makes a lot of brownie points right there, brother. Yes. Verse 3 says this. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let's look at that a little bit. Endeavoring has the idea of a great effort. A great effort. This is not just flippantly, casually saying, I tried. It's like the guy coming off the tennis court that I I, I coached him. uh, He says, oh, coach, I tried. I mean, if he just talks like that, it's, 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 it's a sign that he didn't even try. I tried. Okay? Hey, you didn't try. Give me a couple of miles. Well, that would make you try. Yeah, the, the idea. So I'm hard on that. I'm, as a coach, it was never about winning with me. It was about the effort. Because an athlete cannot always win. I don't care who you are. You can't always win. But you can always do the very best that you have. That's what I want. Because, you see, your parents, they take off of work. They, so they're not making money. You have to pay an entry fee. You have to pay a hotel out of town. You have to pay for gasoline. It costs your parents. And you have the integrity to work and do your best for that. If you don't want to do it, don't take your parents up on the trip. You stay home. So it is a great effort that this Paul is asking from us over here. A great effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So what Paul is saying over here, you don't have to accomplish the unity. You can't. Only the Spirit of God can. But he says the Spirit of God has already provided the unity. The unity of the Spirit. Are you with me? He's just asking us to keep it. He's just asking us to maintain it with the greatest of efforts. My dear brothers and sisters, if we can live between husband and wife like that, we would have exemplary marriages right there. Because if both husband and wife are believers, they have the unity of the Spirit right there. And the Spirit of God is asking us to... to with a great effort to maintain it, to safeguard it, to, 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 to watch after it, to look out for it, to, 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 to maintain it, to keep it, to whatever, not to lose it. Because in unity, unity is a magnet for peace. Can you imagine? When two brothers are in unity, or a husband and wife are in unity, or a church is in unity, Can you imagine the peace that will exist among the folks? Unity. Um, I want to say some more things about unity, I think. Let me see here. Unity and diversity. Why would... Actually, the, 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 the idea of unity and diversity, it is the theme of the Corpus Christi Baptist Association for the 2018 annual celebration. Unity and diversity. They are trying to get the churches together in unity, though they are diverse churches. Unity and diversity. Now, why would you choose two things so opposite and contrary to each other to become to come together? Unity and diversity. How do they come together? Brothers and sisters, only by the Spirit of God. And we are not left without an example because there is unity in the Trinity. There is unity and diversity in the Trinity. 
because the three personalities of the, of the Trinity, they have different assignments, different jobs, according as they talked with each other before the beginning of the world, that they talked with one another about how is this thing going to happen, and they came into unity. And they decided, Jesus is going to be the creator. The Holy Spirit is going to be the guide, the teacher, the, 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 the reminder, the, 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 all that, the helper, the, 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 the convictor, and so on and so forth. The, the one that gives the, the power. So we are not without example. So sometimes people are asking, well, why are there, why are there three gods in Christianity? There are no three gods. It is one God with three personalities. It is, it is sort of like this. The best way I can describe it is like you have an apple. <clears throat> you have the skin. You have the meat. And how do you, how do you call the inner part? The core. All three are apple. Right? But there are different parts of the apple. Okay? But all three, apple. This is apple. I love the skin of the apple. You can, give, you can peel the skin off. I'll just eat the skin by itself. The same thing with peaches. Love it. Give me some peach skin. And give me a little sugar, baby, and I'm good to go. So, so, once again, there is unity and diversity in the Trinity. And so, therefore, there is also uh, peace in the Trinity. He, they are our example, or he is our example, the Trinity is. And because there is uh, diversity and there is unity, there is also accountability. Yes? When it says that Jesus became obedient even unto death, that was what they agreed upon in, in those chambers before the time began. In due time. At the right time. The sun will go to the earth. Be born of a virgin. Grow up. And go to the cross. To be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of man. And he became obedient even unto death. Brothers and sisters, if that is not an example, I don't know what is. If Jesus is not our example of obedience, he does ask us to die. He might ask you to die for him. Okay. Where I'm looking from, it's a privilege to die for the gospel's sake. On average, he's not asking us to die for the gospel. He's just asking us to die to ourselves. <laughs> Hello. Hey, why don't you die to yourself and love your wife for a change, okay? Dying to self. Why don't you die to self and love your brother and your sister who are irritating you? Die to self. My dear brothers and sisters, a dead person is not readily irritated. So if you die to self, who, who can irritate you? <laughs> hey, here's the, the coffin. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Whatever. You know. Oh, oh I'm irritated. Die to self. Be obedient even unto dying to self. How's that? Let me make it a little bit softer for you. Okay? Okay, here, here are the, here's the outline again. We, 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 we got we to gotta stop sometime. Uh, but I, have, I think I have one more thing on the... <laughs> one more thing. Well, I have, I have, okay. So, before time began, 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they got together and they, 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 they counseled together. They, they talked together as to how this thing is going to happen. You see, you, you have to you follow. I'm just trying to make it uh, where we can understand it a little bit, where we can see it a little bit. I mean, this is in the spiritual realm, so you don't see anything. Okay? But, but in, in, in Genesis 1.26 it says, in that very first chapter of, of, the, of the book of Genesis it says, they counsel together, they say, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us. Does it sound like they're talking together? Let us make man into our likeness. And then in one, one it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, in the English you don't. Paul is a scholar in, in some of the, these Hebrew things, and, and he knows that the, the word that used is for God is Elohim. Elohim has a plural sense to it. Not plural in this scenario as in plural items, but a plurality and oneness. Yes? We are also a plurality and oneness. Yes? Body, soul, and spirit. Okay? A plurality of oneness. This is nothing strange. This is nothing difficult. It is difficult to understand. But not, not, not difficult to see that there's a plurality there, there's a plurality here, there's a plurality here, there's a plurality here. So uh, they have been in unity. There has been peace. There is no jealousy. Somebody says, well, you shouldn't pray to the Holy Spirit. No, you should pray in the name of Jesus. But Jesus is not jealous of the Holy Spirit. Because when you pray to the Holy Spirit, He's going to lead you to Jesus. That is the job of the Holy Spirit, to lead you to Jesus. Did you know that? That is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, to lead you to Jesus. So, uh, where are we? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it to an end now. No, 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 no. I, I am. But I just want to, I want to just finish this point. So I don't have to go over this again. So unity brings so many aspects of the Christian life in focus and in facility. In other words, it facilitates some of these things. Like unity brings peace. Unity brings accountability. Unity brings humility. If there is no humility, there will not be unity. Take that as a guarantee. Because for us to come together in unity, we need to be humble. Otherwise, we think that I am right and you are wrong. As soon as pride comes in, unity is out. So it brings, unity brings humility. Unity brings joy. My brothers and sisters, when a husband and wife are in unity. I have been in churches where I preached and you see a husband and a wife. When you see a husband and a wife sitting like this, so their hands are here or here. I'm thinking... There doesn't seem to be much joy between a husband and a wife there. So when they were sitting like when they were sitting like this, I'm thinking, hey, this is something, this is something tender over here. When they're holding hands, are they smiling and they're looking, you know, even if they're sometimes they're cold, so they're sitting like this, I'm a little bit cold, but there's a smile on their face and they're looking with contentment all around them, you know. There's something going in that, in, that, in that marriage among those couples. But, you know, anyways, I'll, I'll back off. Talking about marriage seminar, talking about marriage seminar, I just give you this hint. When husbands walk into a marriage seminar, oh, let me just talk about the wives first. When the wives walk into a marriage seminar, they're walking like this. When a husband walks into a marriage seminar, I'm here. Don't rock the boat. 
Allah walk right out. So one of the jobs, one of my jobs in a marriage seminar is to make the, hus- make the husbands feel safe so they can relax. Unity and diversity. The unity among the body of Christ is a huge, huge deal. It is not huge because it is difficult to accomplish because you don't need to accomplish it. The Holy Spirit has already accomplished it. We just need to work hard like crazy to maintain it. Yes. And I want to encourage you, as in closing, that the opportunities that God gives you with your spouse, with your children, with your brothers and sisters, take them to be able to be one who loves greater like Jesus loves. My brothers and sisters, don't, don't, don't be so irritated. If you're irritated, it's a, it's, 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 depending on the frequency, whatever, it's a sign of immaturity. If you're mature, you're not easily irritated. You know that there's a younger, younger brother or younger sister over there? You work with them. You work with them. You encourage them. The Sunday school class that I was telling you about, you're coming to the Sunday school class just to encourage a young person like that, a young believer like that. It's just that simple, brothers and sisters. Anyways. <laughs> God wants to teach us. Let us stand, please.